0: Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor-scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury, and my guest this week is Chris Bounds. Chris is Professor of Christian Doctrine uh, here at Wesley Seminary alongside me down the hall, He's former professor at Asbury University as well as here at Indiana Wesleyan University for years prior to that and has trained generations of uh, pastors and scholars and uh, just a wonderful uh, man of God and a student of the early Church Fathers uh, in particular. and I've been really excited to have him on the show. He's been on the show before for a bonus episode, but this is his first regular episode to be on and he's fittingly here for Trinity Sunday. The Sunday after Pentecost as an opportunity to attend to uh, the triune God and the doctrine of the Trinity and the life of the church. So our text this week is Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, Romans eight twelve through 17, which is the epistle lesson for year B for Trinity Sunday in the Revised Common Lectionary. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show along to others so that they may benefit too. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show as well as receive some additional content, simply go to patreon.com slash to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Chris. We jump in. Would you be willing to read the passage? Um, okay. You can use that. That's ESV. Is that okay? That's I don't know. fine.
1: You, you okay. have a preferred. I do not. This is fine. It's, uh,
0: Romans 8.
1: What did I say? 12 through 17? 12 through 17. Let's do it. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Yeah, the word of God. <laughs> For the people of yeah. God. Thanks be to God.
0: Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you have sent forth your Son mm-hmm. to bring life into and out of death. And we give you thanks that you have also sent forth your spirit, that we might be empowered to be children of God. Mm-hmm sons and daughters of God incorporated into Christ. Mm-hmm. So we're thankful for these events, the events of Easter and Pentecost
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the reality of who you are Yes, yes. Uh, from and to all eternity, but especially in time for us mm-hmm. as well. And so we now ask by that same Spirit, in the name of that same Son, Mm -hmm. that you would guide our conversation today, that what needs to be seen and heard in the text that is before us would come to the fore, and that as we uh, explore uh, the doctrines of the Church, Mm. that we would hear them with fresh ears, and that uh, those who are listening in, who are bearers of the word in whatever sense, whether as bearing testimony to the God they love, to friend, to family, to stranger, or for those for whom it's their, their job, their mm-hmm. uh, life calling to bear the word in, in preaching and in teaching and shepherding, whatever shape and size their flock may be, Lord, we ask for all those listening in to be empowered by your Spirit, to be bearers of the Word, Mm -hmm. uh, far above and beyond any uh, hints and tips and teachings that that Chris and I can provide. Mm -hmm. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit by whom we cry out to you, Abba, Father, Mm -hmm. to your glory we pray. Amen. 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 Well, yeah. So, we'll... uh, in the in the middle segment, we'll we'll go off and speculate, Trinity Doctor. But let's start <laughs> let's start with the text in front of us. Sure, uh, sure. Of course, you know, lots of texts could work as a jumping off point. But in the lectionary this year, this was the epistle lesson, and I'm doing epistles this year. So yeah, so this is the epistle lesson uh, for Trinity Sunday. So I thought it'd be a good jumping off mm-hmm. point. So what 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 grabs you
1: as you read this text? The text, of course, you're very familiar with. But yeah, yeah, I think for me. One of the things that, that grabs me is what leads up to it
0: ah, okay uh,
1: that what what leads up to it, and of course, what leads up to it actually begins in uh, in chapter six, mm. uh, verse one, shall we continue in sin in order that grace may abound, and uh, may it never be and uh, Paul goes on to say that uh, because uh, we have been baptized and raised in Christ, uh, we need not sin. We need not sin. And then in verse uh, 15 of chapter 6, he asks it again, shall we continue in sin in order yeah. that grace may abound? May it never be. Except this time, he is a lot stronger in his emphasis, and uh, in, in, in the end, he, he, he says, uh uh, we must not sin mm. why because uh romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death, and that is a word that is spoken to to believers you know in in that context and of course, when he's talking about sin there he's not talking about uh I mean, he has a specific concept of sin that is at play. He's not talking about any sort of conceivable sin, but in this intentional sort of transgression of what we know. Mm-hmm. So, to continue to live in rebellion against God as a, as a believer is is sort of impossible from from Paul's Paul's perspective. And then he goes on in, in chapter seven to uh, talk about why why that is, and then uh, he. Uh, uh, uses this sort of past tense when we were in sin, and, and um, he describes that well, at least from a, a Wesleyan and what I would consider to be a, a, an early Christian reading of Romans seven fourteen through twenty five. The good that I know to do, I do not do. That which I do not want to do, I find myself doing. Is someone who is not yet a Christian? Is mm-hmm. someone who is not who does not yet have the Spirit? And then, of course, going into uh, Romans chapter 8, this description of what we have uh, in the Spirit and that the Spirit enables to live in a life that sets us free. From the power of sin, sets us free from the power of, of death, and so that's sort of the context. No, I think that's that, that, that leads us into this this beautiful uh, affirmation that uh, not only we're we set free from the power of, of sin and death, but brought into this beautiful, you know, relationship in which we participate uh, in God and become sons and daughters of uh, of God. Yeah, it's like the argument
0: of chapters six and seven works on its own to speak against the presence of sin in the life of the believer. But it's an incomplete picture in terms of the positive. What, what, what is it instead of that? That's right? right. That's right. And so eight really is the the culmination of that argument is I think I hear you saying That's that, right? right. That's
1: right. There is a sense in which we are set free, but we're brought into. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're brought so into fe- this. set free
0: this. from sin and set free to. Freedom into, so freedom from sin, but freedom for, for. freedom into. That's right, that's right. This relationship of sonship, yes, in the spirit, yes. Well, that's that's good. That's I think that context is really crucial, especially. I mean, you know, on the show, as as regular listeners would know, I mean, there are portions of time on the show when we're kind of marching through a text. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we want to make we don't want to read the text out of context, but if you're listening regularly, you'll get those gaps filled. This is a sort of special Sunday. It's Trinity Sunday, which is kind of this, I don't know, kind of made up holiday to say, oh, by the way, <laughs> because, of course, Easter, Pentecost, Christmas, these are all Trinity Sunday already, yes, right? Yeah, but yeah. it's kind of this opportunity at the end of the whole Christological cycle that runs from Advent to Pentecost to kind of pause and say, okay, how do we collect all that up together? Mm-hmm. Boom. Trinity doctrines kind of the the collection of all of those, the truths of all those mm-hmm. events. And yeah, so it's just kind of this random, we're not going through Romans right now. So I think it's super essential. And I think also very telling because it's not that, what this chapter is not is Paul saying, and now I'd like to talk to you about the Trinity as if that's like a thing that was right, even right. like, that they even talked that way then because they didn't. That would be anachronistic. The the language, this language of Father, Son, and Spirit in in these few verses mm-hmm emerges in the context of describing the Christian life, is yes, what I'm hearing yes, you say. Yes, and yes. I think that's could be the most important thing to be said, is that maybe the moment Trinity talk gets severed from that, we might get a little
1: lost, you know, yes, at least yes. on our side. Well, and this is one of the reasons, you know, I of course, we're at Wesley Seminary and we come from a Wesleyan tradition. and. I'm always reminded, you know, John Wesley's uh, sermon on the Trinity has one, just one on the the Trinity, although Trinitarian language fills his his discussion. But he says that, of course, that the Trinity is uh, at the root of all vital religion. And, And for Wesley is less concerned about what we might call the imminent Trinity. I mean, his real focus is on the economic Trinity, not that... It's unrelated to the imminent uh, Trinity, but but you can't talk about vital religion. You can't talk about Christianity. You cannot talk about salvation apart from trinitarian language, trinitarian experience. It's it's at the very heart of it. It's the, the root is a good imagery because it
0: implies it. you don't you don't see it. It might not always be on the surface. Oh, that's a good right right. But it's yeah. what the life blood yeah. draws from, which which would fit. I mean, that's a very that would match your. And I, mine too, exegesis of Romans is that you know, the vine, the branches, the tree, I'll just say the tree, is this talk of the Christian life. These are the things that are visible to us. Yes. But here in chapter 8, and other places, but especially here in chapter 8, there's reference being made to the roots. that At the bottom of it all... Is this
1: triune life of God into which we are being incorporated, and this right? is where it comes. Especially in Romans, this is where it comes into its fullness. Yeah, there's almost no mention of the Spirit. That's right until chapter eight, and yeah. then it, it 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 blossoms. It, it and it fills the 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 rest of uh, of Romans. Yeah, and in Pauline scholarship, I mean, it's
0: pretty standard to see two major movements before the the grand finale in nine to eleven that run from like one seventeen through chapter, end of chapter 4, and then 5 through 8 is really one unit, even though you and I started with 6. six right, right? But I mention that to say that there is a reference to the Spirit quickly and in passing in, in Romans 5, which in some ways is a foreshadowing and an inclusio with this, right? So yes. you kind of get yes. this initial... Because the, the whole, <laughs> in some sense, a lot of the stuff of Romans eight is already hiding in Romans five one through five. Sure, sure it is a favorite it is. passage of John Wesley, yeah. by the way. <laughs> right, the 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 love of God, the Holy Spirit spreading the love of God in our hearts, mm-hmm. and what does that mean, though? Well, here we're starting to see it. It's this. Mm-hmm. It's this. This, assur- and that love of God is that double sense. It's the assurance that God loves us, mm-hmm. chose us as His children in Christ, but also love of God back to God, us, our loving God back through. Good works, life, peace, righteousness, yeah, 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 yeah. and through prayer, you know? And so here, when he actually describes this praying relationship yeah. of the Christian and the prayerful life of the Christian, the the roots start to show. Mm-hmm. The, the The triune roots start to show. But you're right, most of the argument of Romans doesn't require reference to... The fullness of Father, Son, and Spirit, but I think I would agree that it's kind of implicit all along, or it's the root all but it, along. That's right. But yeah. it, it comes into
1: um, uh, we see it. We, we we see it.
0: Yeah, and actually, it's maybe I, maybe I'm doing too much Romans, but I mean, even the beginning of Romans, there's a I guess an allusion to the to it all, an allusion even to this chapter, where it says that Jesus was, you know, designated as Son of God. Through his resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit, right right, right, the spirit of holiness. The spirit of holiness. So you've got that resurrection, Father, Son, Spirit, which is what happens in the verse right before our section, right? Which is that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Mm -hmm. And again, the bulk of this chapter in this whole book is about the dwelling in you. Mm -hmm. But who is it that's dwelling in you? Not just some spirituality, but the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit is the power by which... The father raised the son. So you've got the whole, all three triune persons, even mm-hmm. if that's not Paul's language, right there in in one sentence describing mm-hmm. the event of resurrection. That's right. That's right. It's so powerful, man. I just think and love it.
1: <laughs> well, I was trying to think, you know... Uh I, again, I I was going back to this this issue of the emphasis on the spirit. Again, it's not that prior to chapter eight there isn't mention mm-hmm. either explicit or implicit to the spirit, but it is very very, very little. Like, it's like four or five times very little, and then you come to chapter eight, and then and then the language of the spirit dominates. You think that's on purpose?
0: You think that's a like a move that Paul's making? Uh, that's, what or what? What
1: do you think? I, I think uh, it's not. It, it's probably not intentional. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure that that's intentionally what he's what he's doing. I think it's it's unintentional, or I think that it is. It is something that is there inside of him that he's not even fully cognizant okay. of. That that comes. So it's fitting,
0: and, if not right. intended by it, the it, human If it's author. not right, in some some ways, it expresses the the narrative of Scripture itself. Yes. Yes. The father calls his son Israel, Jacob, to himself. And the fullness of sonship of God is actually revealed then in the risen Christ, that he is the true eternal son of God. And then in the same way, then it's that that then brings forth the spirit whose personality and deity took centuries for this church to recognize and articulate as we were living in the Spirit, mm-hmm. so in many ways there are. I don't want to get into goofy kind of. There's like there's three ages: Father, Son, and Spirit. But but there is a kind of. Oh yes. There's a half truth hidden in every heresy. You know, it's like the, mo- there's a reason modalism came along. You know, father, oh, Son, yeah. Spirit. There's a kind of sequence. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I was trying to remember the language of if, if it was Gregory Nazianzus who talked about in the Old Testament. Uh, the father is fully re- uh, revealed and the son implied oh. and, and then do you remember where yeah. we yeah, where he said and it's then and, narrations, and, think, it, it, yeah. and, it is yeah and in the, the uh, new, Te- new testament you have the son fully revealed and the spirit implied oh. and, and it will take the church to bring you know the in full, the the yeah yeah, yeah, yeah the, the the full full realization of the of, of the spirit i'm remembering that
0: yeah. yeah yeah that 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 fits i'm glad you you said that Although I'm inclined to think maybe not at the, maybe not at the level of Trinity doctrine, but at, the, at least at some level of rhetoric, mm-hmm. Paul surely knew that the best answer to the question he raised in chapter six is the oh, Holy Spirit. Oh yes, yes. But I think he wanted us to feel the burn a little of the question, right? <laughs> like, 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 uh, why it's a difficult question, why it can't be answered in a pat way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you think of, I mean, we do this sometimes in the. Christian life where we just say things like, Well, God will have victory over that, right? He, he doesn't want to have a quick answer. He's taking his time to really plumb the depths of the problem. Right. As right. well as what's at stake in the question. Mm-hmm. In many ways, chapter six is just telling us what's mm-hmm. at stake in the mm-hmm. question. You can't sin is rebellion, you can't just treat it so lightly. Mm-hmm. So then the language of the Holy Spirit that dominates this chapter is just
1: such a glorious release. Oh. absolutely. And again, it, it it isn't like this is hidden from Paul, right And he's just coming to this realization. I mean, this is Pentecost. Mm-hmm. I, I mean in the church's experience of the Spirit at, at Pentecost and and even seeing uh, that really the culminating act of the Messiah, Going back to the Old Testament is the one who gives and brings yeah. the, the spirit and the age of, of the spirit. Well, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall. Prom-. So, I, I mean, they had this cognizant understanding of what was happening in uh, sort of the exaltation of Christ to the right hand of God is that He sends the spirit, yeah. and uh, and and everything that the spirit does and imparts to the Christian life, and it. And I'm saying that's not something Paul is just coming to the realization of. And I do think that that is what he is trying to mm-hmm. express in the theology of, of Romans and in other letters as well. I, I, I think of, of Galatians as Galatians well. Galatians 4 is a key yeah, parallel to this. We might yeah. want to glance at that That's after a right. break,
0: maybe. Can't help but think about how in our own tradition, you and I, Chris, the later Wesleyan tradition, the uh, the language of a personal Pentecost. Yes, yes. And was often associated with this chapter. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Yes. Although. You know, of course, in one of the insights of modern biblical scholarship is, of course, this chapter is actually probably the older and more original description of the experience. You know, and that's right. And Luke that's right. is writing much later. That's right. Perhaps being influenced by, by the Bible. apocalyptic description of chapter eight mm-hmm. in his way of remembering and narrating the event of Pentecost, which, of course, there's a reason Trinity Sunday is right after mm-hmm. Pentecost. So, yeah. Anyway, I just. Well, this is a random thought, but the, the personal Pentecost language, which used to turn me off, but now I've come to be like, that's the coolest thing ever. I mean, that's like, I mean, you can think of that in a kind of narrowly experiential way mm-hmm. where you have to have a specific day when Romans 8 happened to you. I think right, that's right. a little, that doesn't reflect, I think, a correct understanding of how the chapter fits in context.
1: That no, no, I, 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 I would, this I would is meant agree. meant to be that's a description
0: good. of the Christian life for all Christians. That's exactly right. Not right, as a right. special experience of the elite, but... Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, the idea that this is Pentecost in in other language—that's right. You know? That's right. Well,
1: and and again, uh, uh, of course, this would be history again, slightly different than our Wesleyan holiness tradition. But baptism with the Holy Spirit, this personal Pentecost, mm-hmm. is associated with conversion, uh, yeah. not something with something that uh, takes place subsequent yeah. to our, our experience of conversion. But it's
0: clear if he has to talk to, about this to believers. That there is a going on further into this reality. right? Yes, yes. Um, there's a living in accordance with what is already true for you. Again, the root, right? You, yeah. Tapping into the root that's already there. I, maybe not paid attention to. Maybe maybe uh, ignore or not the fully experienced. Not fully experienced. Or not yeah, fully experienced.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's we. Re- you know, uh, my own understanding articulation of, uh, of what we call an ordo and a wea. Has everything to do with that? I think so. For instance, in Romans, I, I see Paul articulating far more sort of theologically his understanding of the of the gospel. But it's a it's a it's a theological. It it really is. Uh, I don't want to call it a theoretical, but 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 it is an intellectual mm-hmm. sort of approach to it. And, and nevertheless, throughout his, his ministries, he's dealing with pastoral issues. Yeah, it's yeah. his point of reference. So even yeah. when he's dealing with concrete issues... Because he
0: was say, not the pastor of this congregation. He'd never been there.
1: He'd never been there. So sort of why the, uh, we get entree and introduction to this congregation of who he is. But I'm thinking in 1 in, in Corinthians, he's dealing with yeah, with, right, with, with right, Christians right, right. who are not living this life that he, he, that's right. he, he, he's described. He's, he's not saying he that they Christian, aren't Christians. Right. He's not saying they aren't Christians, that's but good. they're not living into... This life that is theirs in in Christ in and through the Holy Spirit, they're not living into it. That's good. That's helpful. And so, again, there is this sort of, this is this his orienting reference, his whole understanding of the gospel. But just because people, individuals that he's, or people he's addressing, churches that he's addressing, doesn't match, Yeah, he is not saying automatically they aren't Christians or they're not believers, but they're not yet living into uh the fullness and uh, so sometimes I think and the reason why I say this uh in relationship to to this is is that some people when uh they hear a description of the beauty of the Christian life mm. that is talked about here, and uh they don't experience it or have not experienced yet there is the real temptation to fall into despair, yeah. Uh, there is the uh, temptation to fall into to, to depression here. And again, for me, what is important in Romans, is Paul is describing, what is the Christian life? But he's doing it in a theological way, whereas he's recognizing as he's dealing with people and where they are actually in life, not all Christians are living into this uh, yeah. experience, but calling them. Uh, to to live in and experience uh, experience this this is their rights this is their and that's not of course the language of Paul but right. this is their inheritance this is what inheritance Christ, that's his language yeah. yeah yeah this is what Christ has made available to us yeah. through, through 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 the Spirit. Again, I was just tr- trying to make this this distinction for me is sort of the because sometimes what has happened in in some traditions is that they take this and they make it very rigid. Mm. So if you if this isn't what you're living into, you aren't saved. You're yeah. you're not a Christian. You're not a, a a a real real believer, and it can become uh, an albatross, you know, around someone who is still struggling and wrestling.
0: Yeah, if you're feeling any fear, you know, if you don't feel like God is your father, you know, then you must not be a real Christian. And then you have this overcorrection in the opposite direction, right? That, that also, and, and I experienced this lesson in in my background, but we see it in some other, uh, traditions, the opposite correction, which is to say your feelings don't matter. The fact is you're a a son or daughter. Whether you feel like it or not, and I think this passage really is neither doing neither of those. That's the, right. That's right. The the facts are being presented to um, evoke a felt experience. Absolutely. I don't think Paul is either in the. You, you remember that that silly little train where you'd have like the fact,
1: oh, the uh, faith, and then the feeling. Right. Remember
0: four spiritual laws. Yeah, have yeah, you yeah. discovered
1: the wonderful spirit filled life? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Bill Bright.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some truth in that, but I mean, that's that's definitely not the. That's not how... That's not Paul's rhetoric. No, no. Paul's rhetoric is, is much more messy and living where the, the felt experience and our faith is not a mere intellectual ascent. It is, it is a felt reality. And yet the facts of God's apocalypse are above and beyond the ebb and flow right. of our felt experience too, yeah. right? So I feel like there's a more dynamic interaction between doctrine and experience. Yes. Um, though you're right, you've got the doctrine in the foreground in, in Romans. And I don't know, let's take a break there because I think that dynamic of doctrine and experience then
1: is very relevant for, for Trinity as yes, well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would just, one last thing in regard, to, uh, in regard to Wesley. Of course, Wesley understands the witness of the Spirit. The, the Spirit's witness to our hearts is an inward impression upon the soul. Is, is the way hmm. that he he describes it an inward depression upon the soul, and that when one has the witness of the Spirit, it does bring joy, or to even use the words of of Wesley, uh, it brings happiness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It Especially is interesting because we got in a conversation with uh, with Bart and and. You know who raised Christ from the who raised Christ from the dead? Yes, with Barb Ruler. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, I loved this. I loved what he was he was, good. He, he was doing it. And You know, and from my own perspective, of course. You know, First Peter three. What in the world is that? He yeah, made there are great debates over over, over that. But uh, this passage, of course, and you pointed out within context, it's the Father through the Spirit, he yeah, raises, so which is the, engaged the, the his, historic Trinitarian sort of. Response to to that question, and then of course um, there is. It's an odd passage of scripture. Probably, from my understanding, a, a, a maybe an early creed that was operative. Some have speculated that First Timothy three sixteen yes appeared in the flesh, vindicated or sometimes qu- uh, justified yep. by the Spirit yes uh, by, by, by the Spirit and yeah. appeared um, to the well, apostles. Well, the Spirit 16. flesh. Question the question is, yeah, what is the meaning of that, uh, of the text? Because
0: in apocalyptic literature, spirit and flesh dynamic, that dialectic is so central. And so, and so resurrection of the flesh can only take place by the spirit. Yes. I Actually, see. that connection in, predates Christianity, yes, right? It's an yes.
1: apocalyptic... But what is meant by... Yeah. Yeah, the, the issue of, of And of so spirit. the question,
0: so then, like you say, implied, but not rendered explicit... And it's always a tricky question for translators whether to capitalize the S. That's right, that's right. Because, and I, I think I'm, I sometimes like to never capitalize it just for fun, just to see what happens. Oh, yeah. Same with father and I son, could, just to see- play with it. Because spirit is, the, the ambiguity is the point. You know what I mean? Because the language of spirit yeah, yeah, it is. has a broader sense. And then the person, and then you go through and, and capitalize the S on every use
1: as well. well. Right, right, which is, uh, They're is both project. valid,
0: you know, yeah. because even the ones that seem like it's just talking about our human spirit, because of course our human spirit's being transformed by
1: This is, this is where, and this is the beauty of you and, and, and where you leave me in the dust, is uh, you really are Protestant. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, mean, no, I you, am. You I am, I really am. are Protestant. And this is where I actually, I lean much more into the Catholic yeah. uh, tradition. So I'm less interested about the text. Yeah, I know. No, I I'm, I'm more interested in how did the <laughs> earliest readers of the text <laughs> right. understand and interpret uh, and interpret we'll the do text. Too. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, you you'll do, but I but that's and of course, I I, I love that. This is where I appreciate Bart. Bart, what a what a wonderful reader of the text uh, and uh, original meaning. And uh, you are as but always uh, in dialogue uh, with uh, the tradition, uh, uh, as well.
0: Is clear. Uh, oh, oh yeah,
1: you, you, you do you do, and, and so. that's not good But it's 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 interesting to me. Uh, this is again, and I applaud you in, in in the midst of this that you are engaged with the original meaning, trying to arrive at the original meaning of the text. in a yeah, way I just don't think it's final. That's why w- w- I'm not a Protestant. I'm r- still… R- 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 right, Well, in, I, in a way that, uh, that I'm… I, it's not that I'm unconcerned uh, about it. I'm not interested. I am interested in it, but I'm not nearly as interested in original meaning yeah. as I am about how the church has historically read and interpreted uh, the, those passages. And, and that's actually, as a Protestant, that's a weakness on my part. That's what Yeah, so it's so fun.
0: funny. For me, it's such a – it's an exercise in Catholic traditioning, as I understand myself. Mm-hmm. Um, or which would be classical Protestant mm-hmm. theology rather than the aberrant kind of foundationalist mm-hmm. sola scriptura, which was not the intent
1: oh, of the reformers. Oh, oh, oh right, 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 right. Because what I, I don't think – not your – I, I don't yeah, think it's not I March. have
0: the authority to do – is to use my take on the original meaning right. to correct the tradition. Right, I don't right, think right. I have that authority. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You, you and Ken
1: Skank uh, share, yeah. that. You, you share
0: that. I'm inclined to say that the orig- one of the functions of original meaning research is to disrupt a...
1: Simplistic reception of tradition. Yes, catch it right. So that's, like, that's exactly. Right. And it, and this is exactly what happened with Roman Catholics in the twentieth century, yeah. as it you yeah. know in the nineteen forties and fifties, leading to Vatican II so was a was a rediscovery yeah. of Scripture and original meaning, which has caused them to be more in dialogue with Scripture than their tradition, yeah. and it's caused them to rethink things yeah. and um, and. In a a positive way.
0: And then concepts like the Gregory thing that you mentioned become very relevant because then you can say, I mean, Raymond Brown's a great example of someone who just by being an orthodox believer, you actually are freed to say, well, maybe Paul wasn't (laughs) (laughs) because it was orthodoxy wasn't up and running. That's
1: right. So a truly
0: historical mindset can also be a dogmatic mindset. They're not mutually exclusive. Oh, absolutely. And you then let the text speak for itself, but recognize that that's not the final word. Right? Uh the that there was later developments that are in an important sense as binding for us and to just say, you know, to just recognize when Paul is not fully Trinitarian, we don't have to
1: correct him and to kinda of see, you know, where right. it goes. I, I think that is um when you engage and I have such a respect for that in and, and Ken as well, and both of you in the end submit to to the tradition, you do it in dialogue with, and respect for, and adherence to the, to, to the tradition. And mine has has been more to try to understand the tradition. And I'm I'm far more fascinated. I don't know why that is. I'm fascinated with how uh, historic Christianity, and, and particularly for me, the Patristic period, read the text yeah. and interpreted the, the the text.
0: Well, let's get into that then in the in the second segment here, because that's a good prolegomena to then kind of the a preface yes. to to the doctrine of the trinity let's let's talk a little bit about that so so how how would historic christianity what what lessons what what core insights does historic christianity take from texts like these and others about how to conceive of the triune god the doctrine of the trinity tell us a little bit about that i mean we've got here some that are probably fully geeked out on Trinity stuff and, right. and then others who might be like, what does that have to do with the Christian life? And what's that all, okay. you know, so what, I mean, obviously you can't do the whole doctrine of Trinity in five minutes, <laughs> but, but what, yeah. what would you say would be, if you were to kind of boil it down, what would be the kind of sort of central insights that you think that we
1: should hear from the earliest centuries yeah, of Christianity? I think one of which is uh, it's important to realize that the doctrine of the Trinity is not fully developed in the text. It's not fully developed in uh, the first century of of, of Christianity. What we have, if I could borrow sort of the language of uh, someone like Vincent of Larens, is that we have the doctrine of of the Trinity in seminal and embryonic form, but it is not yet matured. It's not not yet matured. And it goes back to what we were saying a a little bit earlier in, in regard to the relationship of the scriptures to tradition. And um, the scriptures and, and, and the church. And the fact of the matter is, you can't separate the scriptures from the church. Yeah. Now, don't confuse the two. Don't confuse. I, I mean, there is there are the scriptures and there is the church. Um, and and, well, which, and they which are,
0: texts or scriptures and which are not are the discernment of the of, church. of the
1: church. But they are inseparable from, yeah. from from one another. And the church is absolutely necessary. For uh, the maturation of much of the teaching that we have yeah. uh, in in the New Testament, and there's no greater example of this than the the doctrine of uh, of, of the Trinity. And so um, we have, I think, the DNA uh, for the doctrine of the Trinity, obviously in Scripture, especially uh, but, texts like these. Oh, that especially really in a, text. a pattern. Oh, abs- abs- absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, but it's going to take the church as it thinks and reflects and as it worships and as it prays to, to bring what is expressed in the scriptures to its mature, uh, I- expression. So, as you know, the, in order for the church to do that as the doctrine of the, the Trinity, uh, develops, is, is finding a whole new language and, and, and vocabulary in which to express this. So the language of Trinity itself obviously isn't in, in Scripture. Mm-hmm. This idea of persons, there, you'll never find the word person or persons yeah. uh, in, in in Scripture. So there is critical appropriation of language that's found in the Greco-Roman world and critically appropriated in order to try to give a mature expression of uh, what we find in, in Scripture. So I think what the early church helps us to see, and, and, and we can talk about sort of two different approaches into the understanding of tradition that I think exists, it's competing tradition that exists within uh, the patristic period. There are those, Vincent of Larens being one, Tertullian being another. What, what is the tradition? What is the rule of faith? But it's this sort of authoritative exegesis of Scripture But then you have people like Basel and and others who include more than than simply what we find in in, in Scripture. But for those who believe that the rule of faith is grounded and is the authoritative exegesis of of, of Scripture… Again, there is this recognition of a process of growth and development, maturation of mm. what we find in Scripture. So you're not going to find the mature expression of what we believe as Christians in Scripture, even though the Scriptures are the foundation for uh, for what we the believe. The root. The <laughs> root. Uh, that's right. You keep on going, but that's exactly right. It's the root of, of what we believe. And uh, it, it is what it gives life to everything uh, especially yeah. from a Protestant perspective, what we believe and and what we practice, but it's it's but even more in than a the Catholic root. and Orthodox
0: perspective. I mean, the traditioning. I mean, you can see this already in the scriptures and stuff in the New Testament.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Development even within Paul. That's I mean, right. Th- these thoughts are more developed and articulate than what he has in Galatians. Yes. And the yes the doctrine of Christ, um, the Christology of the book of Hebrews is more developed than anything we find in Paul. Yes, And clearly the Johanine writings yes. are doing something that's developed beyond, although picking up little pieces, running with them that we see in the, the other Gospels. Mm-hmm. So like this development is already there in the scriptures. And if we think of, if we think of the scriptures not as just like texts, but as the, the artifacts, the remains of mm-hmm. the living preaching mm-hmm. and right. discernment right. of the first apostles... And how that was a living tradition? Well, it stands to reason that that would continue. It's actually kind of arbitrary to decide. Oh, well, there was a development, and then the development stops when the Bible's done being written. Yes, that's, yes. A, that, that's actually the burden of proof would be on to claim that claim. Yes, it's a yes, common claim. Yes. Protestant, very Protestant. Oh, it is claim. a very. Protestant That's why when you call me a Protestant, I'm like really because I don't. Want, you know, <laughs> it's it's out of my love for the scriptures that I am closer to guys like Basel mm. and Gregory because. It's precisely out of my love of the scriptures is I I feel like the scriptures can't speak with clarity if every doctrine has to be based on the explicit teaching of scripture. Because what will happen? We'll always twist the scriptures to make them say what we want to say. I'd rather them just speak for themselves, but recognize that the scriptures are a moment in time in the Spirit's guidance of the church and its discernment. Now, the church has also said that these scriptures have authority over us, right? So to listen to the church is to say that the scriptures come first in that, in that authority mm-hmm. precisely because of their proximity and ordination by Christ himself. Mm-hmm. So persons, this, obviously this notion of three persons, mm-hmm. one being is not being, you know, explicitly taught by Romans eight or anything in the new Testament, but um, directly It's a concept, like you said, a a Greco-Roman tool Mm -hmm. that's been critically appropriated in order to articulate uh, something that is revealed Mm -hmm. in the scriptures, which is this deep unity Mm -hmm. in the—and again, back to that language of in us, right? Yes. (laughs) There's a deep unity and identity of the Father, the Son, His Son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit— In their dealings with us, there's this deep identification of all three with one another. Mm -hmm. And yet this clear distinction, Mm -hmm. right, between all of the persons, Mm -hmm. which comes out, I think the distinction actually comes out stronger in this text, Mm -hmm. where it's the spirit is the one through whom Mm -hmm. we call out to God as father, Father. because we are now co-heirs with Christ. So it's that somehow we're being Drawn into the relationship, so if there were no distinctions here, there wouldn't be room. There wouldn't be any elbow room for us. You could say, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's no, um, good. But if there wasn't uh, a unity of these characters in the narrative, I'll say to not use to use a different right, right. idiom than persons, persons. That these different characters in the narrative, if there wasn't a a deep uh, identity and unity, then who's Jesus? He's just some guy. You know, who apparently is experiencing life after death, or something. You know what I mean? It's 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 just a myth. If it's not in some way God in the flesh and God in the spirit working with our yes. flesh and yes. our spirit. Sorry yes. to go back to that language, but it's how this passage opens. Oh, absolutely, flesh and spirit. Well, Christ was, you know, uh, in the appearance. You know, He came with the likeness of flesh, the likeness of sinful flesh. Back in verse three, so in, there's a, there's an association of sonship with the flesh. Mm-hmm and spirit with spirit, right? So I mean spirit and flesh seems really key here and our own spirit and flesh are being drawn into the 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 flesh of the son and the holiness of the spirit. I don't oh, know if yeah. any of this is making any sense, but I think there's a there's something here to work with and uh, ha, but what, but, you, but you maybe ta- everything I'm saying is, is,
1: is a bunch of heresy, so correct me or no, guide no, us. No, 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 that's, that, that's it. I, I love the, your imagery of the elbow room, because what this is, is participation. I think it, so. It is yeah. participation. And it's so funny because we're at the
0: other end of 2,000 years of Christian tradition, and so we're inclined to kind of think of like the Trinity as this abstract idea and try to figure out how we can be participate in it. And the irony is the roots <laughs> the roots of the Doctrine of Trinity are the opposite. He's right, talking right. about participation in God. That's right. And in order to talk about that, he ends up talking about the Trinity. So the Trinity is actually the thing that makes sense of participation. Although so much modern, I mean, how many sermons have I had about the Trinity have to tell me why it matters, mm-hmm. right? But the irony is, is like... Why it matters is why it exists in the first place. Well, that's the reason (laughs) why
1: some have made the argument that uh, that the doctrine of the Trinity can only be experienced in other words only as an object of worship it's only in the midst of of worship it's only in the midst of of participating in this you wouldn't fully that we agree experience with that, that would you no i would <laughs> <laughs> i would not but some uh would would certainly uh would, would certainly make that some might say yeah yeah so well and, and, and as you know this the, the whole doctrine of the Trinity comes not just out of the teaching of the Scripture, but it ha- comes out of the, the church's experience of God and worship of God and making sense of, of that. And, and so they're using this language; they're worshiping Father, Son, and Holy Spirit long before they're trying to put together how are we to understand these three, you know, as uh, as, as as one. I mean, that's a really, uh, you know, Lexorandi, Lex yeah. Lexorandi, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, it, in it, a it way,
0: is. you could say. Here's maybe the, the, truth of, the, the, the truth hiding in that, I think, overcorrection, which is to say experience, not sure, the doctrine. Sure. I think you and I would probably agree with that, Yeah. although the relationship between the two might be different for us. But, but,
1: but it's an important that yeah. there is a relationship
0: between yes, the two. Yeah. I would not want them disconnected at all. You could say that, that, that Paul is describing, gesturing towards an experience known by him and other Christians at his time. That he, as he writes this, is testifying to an experience of the Trinity, mm-hmm. right? So, the notion that the experience predates the doctrine, I think, is spot on. Oh, I yes. I think you would yes. agree with yes. that. Oh, absolutely. The question yes. is whether it's valid to then also articulate the doctrine. I think you and I both would say yes. yes. But then that comes to the question of us now in our time. On the other side of that history, what's our best way into it? Is it, is it to explain... The doctrine of the Trinity to people and then invite them to experience it? Or is it to find ways for them to experience the triune God and then offer the language for articulating the doctrine? And i I'm, I'm, that was not a rhetorical question. Right, I right. don't know because they may never enter fully into the experience if they don't have the language because I... You yes. can't have experience without some language, right? So, so I, I don't want to deprive people of the opportunity of encountering the triune God. It's totally transformed my prayer life. Mm-hmm. Trinity and prayer are just two sides of the same coin
1: because of yes. passages like Romans 8. Yeah. I, th- I think it's both and. Okay. I, I do. I think it's, it's, it's both Walk and. Walk me through the both well, and. Well, there, there's a sense in which, of course, I, I, I go back to, you know, what is theology? It's faith. And I when I say faith here, I really do mean experience. Yeah, you have this okay. experience of God. You have this experience of God interrupting, disrupting your life and then seeking understanding of it. And so oftentimes we have this experience of God, but we don't have the language or, or, or the understanding of it. And there's a sense in which theology then gives us the language mm-hmm. in which to express what in fact has taken place in our lives. For others, though... It is through the sharing of the language, it is through our words, it is through the communication and talking about it, that the experience comes. Okay. Uh, it, it, as well, so that and and of course, this gets back to what is the ultimate end of of theology? Uh, what is the ultimate purpose of it? it? It actually is, at least in our tradition, it is a means of grace. It is mm. a means by which that which is being described theologically it becomes a means by which it's experienced in our hearts and in our so our, I'm, I'm our lives. i the both end then as as experience
0: is generative of doctrine, but doctrine is then generative of experience, and then it's a cycle.
1: A- 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 absolutely. So there is.
0: may be a little bit of a chicken or the egg kind of question here, where, you know, because, I mean, I think about Paul. I mean, he's unique, and so he might be the exception that proves the rule, but let's just talk about Paul for a moment. Yeah. And, of course, he doesn't talk about Damascus Road in his own letters, but, you know, so we get the narrative form in Luke and Acts, three told three times, and with Important details different in all three times, as if to suggest, well, you know, there's lots of ways to tell this story, but but we have Paul's own ways of talking about it, a revelation from heaven, right? right. this kind of stuff, yes. right? He had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, mm-hmm. who remains in the flesh, mm-hmm. and so distinct by virtue of his flesh, but in the place of God, at the right hand of the Father, you know, like a son of man, right? From Daniel, right? I mean, right. Like, yeah, so... And in some sense, he was—that was an experience, but it was also a teaching because Jesus talked to him. Mm-hmm. He said, "Saul, Saul!" <laughs> right? He, he, That's right. He, there's a there's the direct that he yeah. experienced the direct teaching of the risen Jesus. Right. So doctrine and experience are actually all one for mm-hmm. him. And yet, then he had years to sort out mm-hmm. this experience to reflect upon, yeah. and what did he draw? on? he actually drew on the language and concepts of his time. Mm-hmm which included apocalyptic language of flesh and spirit that dominates a chapter like this. But other language too, you know, I mean, even the language of Father and Abba is very, mm. that has roots in, in the, the covenant, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, as he would sure. call it, the scriptures. Yeah. So you can even see that dynamic of doctrine experience playing off in Paul's own life, generating texts like these, which we could think of as doctrine mm-hmm. that's directed as a means of grace to mm-hmm. stir up our experience. Mm-hmm. So then this is, this is raising then this homiletical question for me, like that I am just deeply like of two minds on, which is like whether and how to preach the doctrine of the Trinity. So starting with whether, should we ever preach the doctrine of trinity like straight up like uh, this is a sermon and it's about the trinity i'm not asking whether trinitarian language should shape all our preaching of course it should right and i right. believe that deeply oh, in, in worship um, i think you and i would have no no disagreement there but a- as our forebear john wesley as you see there he doesn't talk about the trinity a lot he's got one sermon
1: on he's got him, one pretty sermon late on it. Right? That's right yes it is
0: mostly because of controversy i believe
1: right it was it is. people,
0: yeah, people yeah, not yeah, believing yeah, in it yeah, all of yeah, a sudden yeah. he's like whoa i when so and again, thing, he's more
1: interested in the economic rather than the... Even imminent. there. Yeah, even yeah, there. Even I, in that. I, yeah. but, but of course, Wesley lived in a different time
0: where Trinity doctrine was at least much more official. And I mean, though it was being doubted and questioned he maybe could make assumptions we couldn't in our time. Like, uh, what do you think? Like, if, 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 you know, just our listeners, and we'll talk about the how after the break, because I'm guessing your answer is yes, but Uh, (laughs) should should we have sermons on the Trinity, like
1: once or more a year? What what do you think? Well, it depends on what you mean by a sermon on the Trinity. Okay, okay. Okay. That's that's a part of it. I mean, you you have to think about, does it address the Trinity? What do you address about the Trinity? I I mean, there are things that I think are completely inappropriate to to preach about in regard to the doctrine of the such Trinity. As? Well, uh such as uh whether or not uh you know what is meant by person and personhood and how okay. they're or, or, you know these are philosophical, how, uh, yeah, questions. The, the philosophical questions in you know in, in regard you know in regard to, to that. A- again there there's some things about it I think that are good for theologians in a theological context to sort of hammer and debate and, and, and discuss and you know as well as I do there there are different sort of models and conceptions of the the trinity that are out there that are being debated and and, and discussed and i actually fall in a particular camp and group in regard to that but respect and enjoy dialogue with people who fall in other camps i don't think that's the place to to, to hammer out the specifics of the uh, of, of the trinity that are there but to acknowledge uh, you know, so for instance, I'm I'm thinking from an Eastern Orthodox uh, perspective here, and even even John Wesley, at least as he talks about in this one sermon, in the sermon he he I think lays the foundation for it for which he never practices, ah. it, it, you know, in his, his preaching ministry. But I, I do think that uh, it is important for us to understand. So I, I would talk about it in this way, you know, even preaching or, or, or teaching. Uh, you know, what is the most important question in Christianity? Huh. What is the most important question in, in Christianity? And, and the most important question of Christianity is not what is God. As important a question as that is, the most important question in Christianity is who is God? Ah, okay. Who is God? And our answer to that question, although conceived in slightly different ways, right. our answer to that question is God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yeah. and I think it's important for uh, for us, and, and it's communicated in worship, but, uh-huh. it, but but we never make an explicit connection to it, and that's where preaching and teaching helps us to make explicit. Connections that are implicit that oftentimes people never pick up without the explicit, yeah, implicit uh, in the songs we yeah, sing, yeah, in the shape yeah, of our the, life, discussion of it, and so uh, uh, that 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 is it. You know, who is God, and our answer to that question is God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that when you are baptized. You are, this is the reason why we don't baptize in the name of Jesus. Jesus doesn't give to us the identity of God. This is the reason why we don't baptize in the name of Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer because it does not give us the identity of God. We baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because it gives to us the identity of God. Now, again, if on a much deeper theological level, we could talk about and uh, discuss the language of Father, mm-hmm. Son, and, and Holy Spirit, which is a part of Trinitarian discussions anyway, but but I, I, I don't know how... You know, as a pastor in a church, we don't help our people uh, at yeah. least arrive at, at what, for me, is the most essential question, in, who, in, in, is it, who is God? And our answer to that question is God is Father, Son, and, uh, and and Holy Spirit. Well, that's great. Let's
0: come back after a break and explore that a little more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my uh, guest, Chris Bounds. So glad to have you on the show. Uh, You've been on the show before for a bonus episode. This is the first time to have you on a regular weekly episode. So, our text before us I mean, other texts are relevant, obviously, but this is a jumping off point. I'll read it again for us, and then we'll explore some sermon starters, you know, kind of asking the question All right, you know, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon, Chris, and so say it was the Friday before Trinity Sunday and, and you just got called, you know, Bolton's already printed texts are already, the PowerPoint's already ready. We're celebrating Trinity Sunday. We wanted someone to, we had someone coming in to, to you know, John was coming in to preach on the Trinity <laughs> and he, he's sick. You need to fill in and the text is already picked. Got yes, it. All yes. right, that's the, 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 thought experiment. So here we go. Uh, therefore then brothers, We are obliged to live not in according to the flesh, to live of the flesh, for if we live according to the flesh, then we are about to die. But if uh, the spirit, if we practice with the spirit, the putting to death of our mortal bodies, we will live For whoever by the Spirit of God is led, these are sons of God. For we have not received a spirit of slavery again unto fear, but rather we have received a spirit of adoption as sons, in whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit of God, itself co-testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if children, also inheritors, inheritors both of God and co-inheritors with the Messiah. That is if we co-suffer so that also we may be co-glorified. The word of the Lord. <laughs>
1: Thanks be to God.
0: Amen. All right, so there's the text they're using the JDV. It's already on the John Drew <laughs> up on the the PowerPoint. Called in at the last minute. Well, how would you structure uh, if someone was inviting you to come preach on the Trinity directly and explicitly? What would be your preference in how to set that up? Again, we you can make you can give advice or not, but we've given a lot of generic advice. How do you preach the Trinity, Chris? What would, if you were called on to to preach the Trinity? How would you? introduce a sermon like that how would you draw people in what would be some of your main main points and what's your altar call you know walk walk us through it
1: (laughs) yeah 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 for me again thinking about the 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 doctrine of the trinity i i do want to uh emphasize the fact that uh this is who god is Mm -hmm. you know father (coughs) son and holy spirit and this becomes incredibly important for me, because when we begin to think of things like that, before there was a kingdom, there was a family. Huh. And, and so, Ooh. even more fundamental to God than the kingdom of God is, is a family. And in the huh. end, we are brought into a family and not a kingdom. We are brought into a kingdom, but ultimately, at the most fundamental level, we are brought into a kingdom. Rather than a kingdom, a kingdom, clever rather than a a kingdom. A, a, a kingdom, uh, a, a, a kingdom. and so um uh, so there is this sense, so this this language of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is even that language is 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 family uh-huh. language. and and again, kingdom is what I would call contingent language. There hasn't been eternally a kingdom. A, a kingdom is contingent upon a creation. Okay it's not like there's a kingdom that exists with father son and holy spirit no that is a a kingdom that exists and so we're we're, we're so it's more fundamental uh than that and and so before uh, even more fundamental to our being citizens huh. uh it is it is being children of 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 God and so uh, you know beginning to tease out in even this passage of scripture, yeah, it's right here. Uh, yeah, that it's fits it's, really it, well. It, it, the spirit it, it, of the steps—that's that, that, right. So it's not really a not kingdom, the, spirit, the letter, adoption, sons, children. Right. It's not inheritance. A, it, it's not a kingdom that is being—it's not a citizenship uh, that is being described here. But it is—it is a kingdom. It is—it's a family, and and this is more fundamental, huh? To uh, what we're called into. Now we can use kingdom language. I have no problems with you know talking about the kingdom. But but I want us to understand there's there's something even more fundamental that is there. So even in theology, we do at times in places make a distinction in our language of God. Why? What I might call the primary language of, of God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, immanent language. Right. And then there's the contingent language. It's contingent upon creation you know, creator, redeemer, sustainer. These, this is all contingent uh, language. And, and while that language is important, it's not nearly as important as this primary language. And so even how we begin to conceive of what's taking place in this passage of Scripture, I don't know how you conceive of it apart from Father, Son, yeah. and Holy Spirit, that this is more fundamental, more essential, to what we are called into as Christians. So that's, again, how important this language and and identity of God. Who is God? And and I think sometimes the way that we conceive of God, the, the first language that comes to my mind is sovereign or king. Right or or creator or redeemer, but <clears throat> if, if, if Almighty, if, powerful, yeah, right? if this is where our focus is, then we miss that which is most fundamental to God and most fundamental to what we're called into. That is. Let,
0: let me work that out with you a little bit. So it sounds like we always already relate to God as our Creator because we're creatures, yes. right? And then as well, whether we're faithful believers or not. We also relate to God as our king, yes. either in obedience or in rebellion, because yes. God's kingship has That's right, it, it has a total jurisdiction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Yes. And so so in a way that doesn't that language is crucial, but it's not final and basic. Yes. Because what I'm hearing you say is to be ushered into a relationship with God as Father, with Christ as our co inheritor and with the spirit as the movement of that uh, incorporation, that that is bringing us into something deeper and more eternal, both back and forward eternal, right? Yes. It's, it's, yeah, absolutely. Yes. And that is only granted as a gift of grace. Whereas in a sense, by nature, we are creatures, we are servants, right? Notice what he said, we do not receive a spirit of slavery again mm. unto fear. The again implies, well, we had a spirit of slavery. I mean, I don't want to read too much in here, right, but right. the human spirit in our human flesh, we are all servants of God. God has the right of master over us as slaves. He doesn't exercise it in that way, but that's that's God's right, right sovereignty of God, Absolutely. as you said. And
1: it is, yes.
0: And so being liberated from that into this spirit of adoption, it's almost as if Paul is kind of narrating this movement from God as king to God as father um, without denying the kingship of God. But right. to say that that's background, that's the means to the end. Yes. The, it's yes. it's the, the way to the goal, which is to be incorporated into the... The kinship of God—that's cool. Have you preached a sermon? We did the kingdom, kingdom. You done I, that? I, I've preached.
1: Before? I, I, I've preached. That's on good. This. I, I've preached on this before. Can people steal that?
0: Our listeners—they're going to steal
1: it. Well, everybody's <laughs> welcome to, uh, to, to 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 steal it. But it, it, it's my entree <laughs> really into preaching on why Trinity is important yeah. and why this language in which we're being baptized is so yeah. important. This is the fundamental, essential identity of God.
0: And so, therefore,
1: our fundamental identity—absolutely, right? Yes, yes. That's and I do payoff. think it, it does impact how we relate to God, how we think about God, uh, by the language we most associate with God. And unfortunately, I think so many people they associate with what I would call secondary or contingent language right. is the way that they relate and think about God, and it impacts so if you think their, secondary their relationship.
0: contingent. Then you think this is to link back. Dr. Experience bit in a sermon is to say, if we are always asking, what is God? What has God done? Then we are inclined, then when we turn to ourselves, Mm -hmm. to ask, what am I? Yes. And what what am I supposed to do? Right? But when we ask, who is God? Then the parallel question is, who am I? Mm -hmm. Yes. And that That seems like the altar call. That's where you can land the sermon, right? It's kind of come... Because when we answer the question, who is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then we now have the insight into answering the question, who am
1: I? And it tells us here, child of God, son of God, right? Absolutely. When we grasp, not just in our minds, but we grasp in the very depths of our soul. It's one thing to be grasped as a citizen, but you could be a citizen of a kingdom, and I can be a part of the kingdom of God, but it would be completely impersonal. Mm-hmm. There is a yes. king, and I am a citizen, and I I'd simply do what the king tells. But the king doesn't know me. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing when I uh, then realize, no, I'm being brought into a family. Yeah, and, and I am known hmm. in this family. I am known, and I am loved. You, you, you know, the king loves the people as a whole, but not the individual. Right. But in a family, every individual is loved. Yeah. Every individual is so I and please hear me, I do take seriously the church as a whole, as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. But I was just gonna say, even in the end, the imagery that's given to us in the end is is familial language. Yeah. It's it's marriage language. The bride. Yeah. 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 But it's 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 family, it's marriage. It's it's not kingdom, it's not that That language. This is the reason why some have speculated, as you know, is is that maybe even in the end, I'm not saying this is true or right, but (laughs) some have speculated that the language of king uh, will not move into eternity.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: The language of judge doesn't move into eternity. So some of the language that even we have of God, the the names and titles that we have appropriately now are not appropriate in uh, the life to come.
0: Yeah, of course, that's a big old sticky... It Wicked is, it is, is, it is. There's a lot of things that we could say are not appropriate for pre-temporal eternity. Yes. But the fact that we will remain creatures means that not all creaturely contingent language... That's right. ...disappears. Oh, abs- absolutely. In post-temporal absolutely. eternity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the question is just which one goes on which list. But I think... Uh, and Again, it is, that,
1: that's speculative, and that
0: would be an example yeah. of the saying that wouldn't belong in the sermon. Though exactly maybe so maybe a sideways glance where you could say, "Who knows?
1: Perhaps yes. we won't even talk yeah, about God right. anymore." Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I wouldn't talk but about that. that in, in, but you could, but you, you could, could make, make a, a statement a, a to make the statement.
0: rhetorical point mm-hmm. that this is more fundamental. Yes. Um, and a way to hint at that is by saying, "Who knows? Perhaps mm-hmm. you know." That's just a preaching tip. Occasionally, it's a good good preaching tip. You sometimes I'll, I'll hear a sermon and I can tell oh, this kid, sorry, it's usually a kid. Uh, th- this kid just bumped into something interesting this week and they're giving us their book report on, the cool, <laughs> on this cool speculation. And I'm always like, that, that should have been a, a sideways line, a cu- couple sentences, perhaps. That didn't need to be the centerpiece of yeah. the sermon, right? The, the centerpiece should be the main thing, right? Keep the main thing, the main thing, right? The, That's right. Sorry. And I think you're suggesting a particular helpful analogy that keeps it very personal or actually actually points out, ironically, to come in to to, to to engage in the rather ironic moment of saying the Trinity is what makes things more personal, not less. Absolutely. Which I completely agree yeah, with yeah, you on, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's th- that would be experienced as an irony to a lot of listeners. Yes. And uh, and because we think of the Trinity bec- as abstract.
1: Because you know? um, we don't engage with the Trinity. Yeah. It, we have, actually, there's something... That, Uh, I think most of us, we have these operating conceptions, ideas about God, and they're not Trinitarian. Yeah, I think so. And unfortunately, whatever that is, that's what governs. That's That's right. That's what governs. You know, key to my own experience, John, is uh, this experience, uh, not just with my mind, but in the very depths of my soul, what is described here. Mm -hmm. And it liberated me and set me free, it continues to enable me to live in in, 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 in liberation from from words, identities, things mm-hmm. that have been had been spoken over my life early on that I was defined in my life. And I I um I wondered for such a long time in my life, how could God love me? Mm-hmm. You know, how could God love me? Or why in the world would God God doesn't know me? God doesn't Care about Chris Bounds? Why? Why would he? And then having a moment, an experience, in which you know my whole salvation experience is, is is Jesus coming, not quite like on the road to Damascus, but in in a very similar way. I knew that I was being addressed by God. I, Chris Bounds, was being addressed by mm. God, and I was being called to follow Him. And then to know at another level that that I am not just in my mind, but in the very depths of my soul, a child of God. And this is my most fundamental identity defining of, of who Chris Bounds is.
0: Beautiful. Oh, man, I mean, to, to make that transition, I mean, when you hear God is like a father, mm-hmm. when you say, okay, well, what did my father think of me, right? Mm-hmm. To learn that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think fatherhood language is too much of just a kind of parable or metaphor right. sometimes mm-hmm. when it's talking about identity he's the father of this son Jesus yes. so yes. Jesus speaks for him
1: So and then if, the love that is shared between the two being the spirit and bingo. then I'm being called and brought into to that
0: drawn into that relationship yeah,
1: yeah. I think well that's beautiful. awesome
0: well, thank you so much, Chris. This has been a great conversation. I've been blessed by it. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. I'm sure they have and been inspired by it, and hopefully they'll steal some of your ideas. And Well, John, I
1: know how much I appreciate you, and uh, I've enjoyed our conversations that we've had over the years that we've known each other. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much. And I'll just say, as
0: always, uh, thanks to all our listeners. We appreciate you so much. Thanks to Todd and Eric for the production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Uh, thanks to our patron saints who support the show. If you want to learn other ways to support the show, go to patreon.com slash fresh text. You can see ways to support the show. And with that, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.